Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson. Hope you're doing well this Friday morning. Uh, we've decided to do something a little bit different today, a little bit different format for the podcast. So we wanted to pose a question topic to a number of experts and listeners on the show just to see what their thoughts were. And as you know, over the, uh, over the lifetime of this podcast, we've talked a lot about telemedicine and you know how that has changed really the landscape certainly during uh during coronavirus but also uh just going forward so we ask these questions of ceos analysts doctors uh security and general healthcare experts just to get a wide variety and a wide array of, of thoughts on how telemedicine has really grown this year so here are some of the questions that we asked. You know, what steps forward has telemedicine taken this year? You know, uh, I think I've shared before that I've been involved in telemedicine for really well over 20 years. Uh, spent some time in outstate Nebraska where there really wasn't a lot of coverage primarily for subspecialists. And so we, my hospital there, was actually the largest rural telemedicine hub in the country at the time. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to get a lot of experience with telemedicine on both ends. And so it was really interesting, but I wanted to hear what other people had to say about, uh, about what it's done, you know, particularly this year. So the next question is, you know, what are the issues around access and accessibility of virtual care? You know, we're gonna hear our, our experts talk about, you know, the, particularly the, the senior population they may not be as tech savvy or uh, parts of America that maybe don't have the uh, internet bandwidth uh, that other parts do. So I'll leave that to the experts in that arena. Uh, so, third question, what cybersecurity challenges uh, have faced the healthcare world as tel telemedicine and work from home has become a part of the new norm? And that's been really interesting because, you know, so many industries, so many companies really weren't very pro work from home. You know, they thought, you know, our employees aren't working if they're not here with us. Well, my organization and many, many other organizations have now found out during the pandemic that not only are uh, employees productive while they're working at home, they're even more productive and, and productivity uh, metrics uh, bear that out. And so uh, it's gonna be interesting to hear some different perspectives on that. And then finally, uh, last question is gonna be, what is the impact of the current staffing shortage on the healthcare world? And, and that's incredibly uh, true uh, throughout uh, healthcare. There's a shortage of various positions um, you know, based upon the type of position that it is, frankly, based upon the geography too, because obviously uh, uh, larger cities tend to be able to recruit uh, more candidates, uh, more highly qualified candidates. And so, you know, that, that's something that, uh, that we all face. And so telemedicine is going to allow uh, healthcare and other industries to expand their reach. Uh, beyond what their typical staffing allows. And so when we come back, uh, you're going to hear a wide variety of experts 
discuss all of these various uh, questions about telemedicine only on I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson. Hi, my name is Dr. Soma Mandel. I'm a board certified internist and women's health specialist at Summit Medical Group in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, the use of telemedicine has risen dramatically. According to a recent AMA digital health study, approximately 60 to 90% of healthcare practitioners are using some sort of telehealth device. Approximately half of those physicians or practitioners are using telehealth for the first time. Different modalities of um, <clears throat> telehealth include synchronous modalities such as uh, calling a patient on the telephone or having some kind of connection with them through a smartphone or tablet or, or a computer. Um, asynchronous modes of communication include a store and forward kind of <clears throat> modality where patients uh, leave messages, images, or data that can be forwarded to the healthcare <clears throat> practitioner at uh, a later time and they can then you know, review it and interpret that data. Remote patient monitoring also has allowed clinicians to access patients' clinical measurements such as blood pressure, heart rates, uh, blood sugar levels, um, and you know, data from cardiac devices as well. Telemedicine has been especially helpful to promote social distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic. It can be very useful for basic things like, uh, you know, at least in medicine, things like sinus infections and urinary tract infections, skin conditions, and it's a great way to continue evaluations and treatment for mental health conditions as well. Um, it can provide care for patients in rural settings where getting to a doctor may be difficult um, and, and not feasible and it's, you know, uh, it allows the patient to still connect with their doctor um, when they're unable to come to the office. It also provides a way for follow-up after hospitalizations um, and for other things like physical therapy and <clears throat> more and more a lot of insurances are covering for services like this. Hi, Kevin. Dr. Jason Halleck, Chief Medical Officer at SOC Telemed. And what we're seeing is a digital divide surrounding uh, many issues around access and accessibility. Many hospitals cannot run effective broadband connections in various hospital rooms, uh, and as well as rural hospitals do have problems uh, even with broadband internet, uh, not the least of which uh, of the problems is around construction in hospitals, which was not done with broadband in mind. Uh, we're also seeing uh, patients have access problems at home, uh, again, due to broadband issues, uh, Wi-Fi or uh, data plans with uh, cell phones and other accessory devices. This causes a great number of problems with access to some of even uh, data from the basic uh, monitoring devices like glucose monitoring for, for diabetes patients and uh, digital scales for patients with, with heart failure. Our vision is for telemedicine uh, to have additional investment in the future, just like what we did with other healthcare infrastructures uh, in days past. Uh, I think by investing uh, real money into infrastructure uh, around telemedicine, 
will allow uh, virtual care to expand in the future. It frankly won't take as much uh, money as building out our physical hospitals in the past, and it's the current challenge uh, that our industry is dealing with. This is Angela Henry with M3 Executive Search. After the staffing shortage on the healthcare world has been drastic in the year 2020, we are seeing a need for more travel nurses and contingent labor as we are seeing a lot of early retirements, people that are either scared from the pandemic and from COVID or have gotten sick themselves. Um, we need significant amount of frontline workers and permanent staff. We already had a physician deficit before the pandemic, and that number is unfortunately increasing ever more. Uh, our executive search side and physician leaders, we're seeing a lot of early retirements. Physicians that are in their mid to late 60s who we expected to have five to 10 more years left and leaders in that same age range have now seen and gone through five pandemics. They've seen H1N1, Ebola, SARS, HIV AIDS, and now COVID-19. So we're seeing that they are ready to step down, to retire a little bit early and move on. Um, the year 2021 is going to be very crucial for recruitment as well as retention. We've got to focus on increasing that employee engagement and make sure that we are protecting our employees from burnout, which is a very real thing in the year 2020. My name is Christopher Lee and I'm the co-founder and COO of Infinite MD. I'm happy to answer from my own perspective what I see as issues around access and accessibility of virtual care. On the access front, at the end of the day, telehealth is simply not an end-all be-all. Today, patients that need surgical intervention, for example, will ultimately still require in-person services. Thus, in general, not all areas of clinical care can be accessed virtually, so to speak. Additionally, technology integration can also be a really big obstacle. Now, this includes both the IT infrastructure of facilitating a consultation, as well as the continuity of patient medical histories. This actually even touches upon issues related to continuity of care as well. Many patients and physicians alike are not necessarily super tech savvy, so getting the necessary tech infrastructure up and running can be a challenge in of itself. Additionally, different providers and services may use different electronic medical records, and therefore they may not have full access to a patient's ongoing medical history. Episodic visits increase the risk of the on-demand telehealth provider missing out on relevant patient history, and thus this ultimately increases difficulties associated with continuity of care. This is actually something at InfinMD we have quite a bit of experience with. And since at InfinMD we operate in specialty medicine, these details are extremely important to us. So we take a lot of care in making sure we always collect all relevant medical records so that all the necessary details are provided to the consulting specialists, as well as providing a copy of our consultations to a treating provider when needed. My name is Matt Fisher. I'm the chair of the Health Law Group at Myrick O'Connell, a law firm in central Massachusetts. The cybersecurity challenges facing healthcare from telemedicine growth and work from home are arguably not too different from the challenges that the industry has been facing all along. 
Uh, specifically, some of the biggest challenges are the fact that healthcare remains one of the primary targets for cyber attacks, along with the number of different uh, potential points of vulnerability that exist within the system. Uh, some of the special challenges, though, that have grown from telemedicine center around the, the quick adoption at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and the uh, lack of enforcement of HIPAA requirements by the federal government. Uh, that combination allowed non-compliant services, namely services that don't meet HIPAA requirements to be implemented, which embedded into workflows and also potentially exposed data despite potential assurances from some of those vendors. Uh, that'll present a challenge going forward as organizations will need to eventually comply with HIPAA again, uh, as it, it's not expected that the waivers uh, or the lack of enforcement will continue once the public health emergency around the pandemic ends. In terms of work from home, uh, the challenge is just reminding and re-educating individuals as to how to meet compliance requirements. But again, uh, none of those challenges should be all that different from when individuals are working in the office. Uh, so on the whole, the cybersecurity challenges uh, are just a continuum of pre-existing challenges. Hi, this is Dr. Selma Mandel. I'm a board-certified internist and women's health specialist at Summit Medical Group in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. Telemedicine can certainly have issues of access and accessibility of virtual care. Not everyone can afford to own certain devices like a smartphone or a computer and uh, may not be proficient in knowing how to operate them as well. And this is especially true um, for the elderly. Um, there are situations where telemedicine is not necessarily appropriate. Uh, examples include, you know, things like acute chest pain and difficulty breathing, abdominal pain. These are conditions which are better assessed and evaluated and, you know, treated um, in person. There may also be state regulatory rules um, that differ by state to state and licensure, licensure challenges as well. This is Angela Henry with M3 Executive Search. The biggest step forward that telemedicine has taken through this year, 2020, is getting people outside of their comfort zone. So telemedicine was actually first utilized in 1967 with the University of Miami. According to the 2019 survey released by the American Hospital Association, only 33% of United States inpatient facilities utilize telemedicine and 67% of outpatient facilities. Because of COVID-19 and the pandemic that we've seen this year, elective surgeries being canceled and office visits being pushed way far back, it has forced a generation that is typically not comfortable with utilizing technology and telemedicine services to discuss their health concerns and their health plans to use those services. Um, what we're going to see is a drastic intake, especially in primary care and behavioral health services uh, through this year because of the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic. This will fortunately be a silver lining from the pandemic as it will increase access to care, especially for those older generations, elderly populations, and rural health communities. My name is Christopher Lee, and I'm the co-founder and COO of Infinite MD. 
I'm happy to answer from my own perspective which steps forward the telemedicine industry has taken this year. In my opinion, there are three key things that have happened within the telemedicine industry this year that has really helped push it forward in leaps and bounds. The first is expanding provider licensing across state lines. Typically, providers have to be licensed within the same state as the patient resides. However, these regulations have been greatly loosened, which allows healthcare providers to practice across state lines. This is something that's greatly welcomed in the industry anyways, in my opinion. The second item is related to reimbursement of telehealth visits. As with most services and innovations in healthcare within the U.S., the reimbursement landscape shapes adoption. CMS, for example, has granted payment parity for a wide range of telehealth services, meaning that telehealth visits are compensated similarly to in-person visits. Private payers have also followed suit in their own state-by-state -state policies. The third thing is provider and patient acceptance. We have found providers and patients that have previously been more hesitant towards leveraging virtual care, embracing telehealth. Previously hesitant providers are now eager towards implementing telehealth into their care paradigms. And patients are also finding that they can receive high quality visits in the comforts of their own home. As a result, these forces have greatly driven adoption. Therefore, in summary, in my opinion, the three key things that have really propelled telehealth forward this year are one, expanding provider licensing, two, expansion of the reimbursement of telehealth visits, and three, provider as well as patient adoption. So I hope you really enjoyed that. That was a different format for us. You know, it's nice to bring a, a broad base of people in instead of maybe focusing on one or two guests uh, during the podcast. And so hopefully you got a better perspective on, on telemedicine and, and particularly how it's being used on a broader basis in healthcare. But maybe it will give you some ideas in your own company, your own industry, about how you can work virtually uh, and utilize uh, technology to extend your services uh, throughout your market area. So with that, uh, it's been an interesting day. You obviously didn't hear me speak as much and that's probably a good thing, uh, but uh, really appreciate you tuning into the podcast. As you know, uh, we're quote unquote live every uh, Friday morning on Market Scale Radio uh, at 9.30 a.m. Central Time. Uh, and then as soon as that's over, the podcast is dropped to Spotify and or iTunes. And so if you haven't already subscribed to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson, make sure that you do that so these will automatically pop up in your feed. So with that, have a great day and we'll be talking to you next week. Thanks.